I believe it's important to have the opportunity to, to build things in-house, but also we need to remain open to the world. Avast needs to be able to work also with Warner Music, with uh, Sony Music, with independent uh, music labels. I think the question is how do you create the best of both world approach? Being pragmatic, changing your mind if you need to change your mind, and this is how it works. Hello, it's Omar Oaks, Editor-in-Chief of The Media Leader. Recently, I had the chance to interview one of the most influential people in advertising and media, certainly in Europe anyway, Yannick Bolloré, Chairman and CEO of Vivendi, the owner of Havas and broadcasters like Canal Plus. It was the headline session at our Future of Media conference in London earlier this month. And I have to say, it was a particularly candid interview. Um, a lot of the time, these Big name CEOs are incredibly wooden and overly coached and PR managed. But, you know, with Bollare, I think he was pretty frank. Um, I pushed him on whether agency holding companies like Havas only make their money from media nowadays, whereas making the ads is, um, frankly, just the jazz hands shiny thing that quietly loses money in the background. Um, I also pushed him on greenwashing. Havas has just won the Shell Global Account and lots of people have questioned whether ad agencies can claim to have ethical values and purpose while still making ads for companies that take oil out of the ground so we can create products that destroy the planet. And meanwhile, on the media side, um, what is the grand strategy for this company, Vivendi? Um, his father, Vincent Bolloré, is famously the great dealmaker, the opportunist who likes to make friends with politicians like Nicolas Sarkozy. But what is actually the strategy behind it all? Why have they just bought this ad agency on Common, for example? Is Vivendi just making it up as they go along, or is there an actual plan to take all these media companies they own or have stakes in, like Universal Music, Ubisoft, Havas, Vivo, Lagardia, Canal Plus, and do something different to what other ad agency groups or media conglomerates do? Can it create a European powerhouse that can rival these American global tech-driven giants like Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Disney, and these other multi-headed Hydra giants? We will see. But one thing I picked up on reviewing this interview, playing it back, and frankly, I didn't pick up on this during the interview, um, was Bollare hinting that Havas could be in the shop window. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it seemed like he may be shopping around. Perhaps he's thinking of some sort of acquisition, reverse acquisition, get bought. Um, I asked this because he said something interesting about scale. Um, usually when you hear kind of smaller companies talk about not being as big as bigger rivals, they talk about the virtue of being agile and nimble, etc., etc. Um, but actually, I heard a tacit admission that Havas wasn't big enough. He talked about the S-word scale quite a lot. Um, let me know what you think. Um, it would be great to know what you think. Email me at omar.oaks at uk.adwanted.com. Um, and there'll be lots of articles and analysis about what was discussed at the Future of Media. We've already done quite a few already, but we've got more to come because we were talking about so much, whether it's data measurement, whether it's the future of technology, the future of gaming. Um, it's a lot to talk about in our flagship annual conference um, where we discuss what are the big topics in media and advertising, not just now, but in the future. Um, so check that out at themedialeader.co.uk as well as Yannick Bollare, who is maybe the richest person I've ever interviewed. Hmm, got to think about that. It could be. Um, we also had people on stage like Sir Martin Sorrell, um, 
The Sun publisher Dominic Carter, um, former Towie star turned media magnate in the making Mark Wright, and of course senior UK people from all the world's top media agencies, as well as media owners Channel 4, Vivo, Mail Metro Media, Bloomberg, ITV, The Guardian, Bauer Media. Um, now I'm just name dropping. Um, just Google the future of media London and see for yourself. Okay, enough for now from me. Now I bring you my conversation with Yannick Bollery. What's the strategy behind what you're trying? What you've been in charge of Havas now for ten years. What's the what's the grand strategy in terms of Media 3.0 and where you think this industry is going? To ask you a big question to start with. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I like. So first, thank you very much for inviting me in such a, an impressive crowd, the number one conference in media in the UK, maybe in the world. So I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's an immense honor to be with you today. I think uh, I mean you said Media 3.0. It's uh, getting more complex, and as we say in the media industry, uh, the more complex it gets, uh, the best it is for media agencies. So uh, I know we have a lot of media agencies uh, represented here today, which is a, a good thing. Now basically, just to maybe come back on, uh, on Vivendi, and maybe we'll go more deeply and specifically on Havas, uh, we are trying to build a, a world leader in media content and communication. So you said we operate in a, uh, different field of activity. We are the European leader in pay TV and uh, movie production through Canal Plus. Um, we are one of the world communication leaders through Havas. We also operate in the gaming industry. You talked about music. Uh, we, we used to be the 100% the owner of Universal Music Group, the world leader in music. And the Vivendi is at the, as a group is at a tipping point because uh, Last year, we spun off Universal Music Group. We listed it on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange, which is a great success. And we're about to, uh, to merge uh, with another group called the Lagardère Group, which is one of the world leaders in travel, retail, and experiences, and book publishing. So uh, Vivendi is clearly opening up a, a new chapter. And clearly, uh, everything is centered into, uh, around media and content. And that's true that in the past, uh, 10 years that I've been at the helm of Havas, uh, this world of media has completely changed. And the question is, uh, how do we adapt ourselves? What we uh, um, try to uh, stick with at Vivendi in terms of uh, uh, strategic roadmap is uh, defined around, I would say, three pillars. Uh, the number one is transformation. Uh, uh, number two is uh, about internationalization. And number three, about integration. If I zoom on transformation, I think it's very important that as a group, as any group represented here today uh, uh, in this very room, I think it's very important that we help all our businesses, uh, all our agencies uh, to transform themselves. I mean, if you consider what has happened in the past 15 years, the past 10 years, what is happening today and what's going to happen in the next 10 years, I think it's very important to adapt, uh, to train our people, uh, not just to the digital revolution, to the social commerce revolution, to the artificial intelligence, I'm sure, we get uh, many questions around that. So I think it's very important to be at the forefront of uh, uh, innovation. Uh, I think it's very important to get global. I mean, you would have invited me 15 years ago. I would have said um, internationalization, it's not that important for a business. It's very localized. Uh, uh, medias are very local. Uh, we didn't have those global distribution platforms through digital and over the top. Uh, so you can have a local business. Uh, even for, I mean, from an advertising standpoint, uh, advertising was localized. I mean, you had different form of ads by countries, different agencies from different groups. 
I remember in France, I'm sure it was the same in the UK, we, have, we had some different agencies by cities because the advertising for a car in Paris was not the same as an advertising for a car in Lyon or in Marseille. And I don't really know why, but this was the case. Now it's the same advertising everywhere in the world, which is quite a shock because when you travel, I'm sure all of you are traveling a lot. When you go to Paris, to New York, to Chicago, to Singapore, to uh, lots of different cities, you have the same kind of retail experience, advertising. I mean, the world is becoming more, more and more the same. And today, uh, we have those platforms that are getting global. So it's really important that every business in the media industry uh, builds a global reach, whether it is through uh, acquisitions or through partnership. I think it's very, very important uh, to have global teams uh, all around the world, maybe with strong help in some uh, uh, regions. But uh, I think in today's world, you need to think global. And uh, I think it's going to be uh, even more important in the, in the coming years. And the last thing is about integration, because Vivendi operates in different fields of activity. I mean, music, TV, uh, communication, video games. Uh, how can we create something better together than uh, uh, if all our businesses were in standalone? So we have been working a lot uh, during, the past, uh, during the past years with my friend Arnaud de Puyfontaine and all the team at Vivendi to make sure that when a business uh, joins Vivendi, it gets stronger. And I can guarantee that since Havas has joined Vivendi in 2017, it has been a game changer for us. So this is where we are. I mean, yeah, specifically, why has that been a game changer? I mean, you talked about the mergers and acquisitions over the last 10 years. I mean, from the outside, maybe seems quite opportunistic in terms of what you've tried to buy and cobble together and integrate now. Yeah. I mean, what is the grand strategy behind Vivendi? Where, where is it all going? Uh, explain to me why it's just not opportunistic. Uh, I like when you say opportunistic because we like to say that uh, sometimes uh, uh, what we call strategy is an opportunity that we post-rationalize. It's a post-rationalizer No, that's true that we need to remain opportunistic. I mean, it's, uh, it's not something bad to be opportunistic. Uh, we need to remain agile. Uh, the question is, uh, uh, when we acquire a business, uh, or even when we sell a business or spin off a business as we did with Universal Music Group, we try to think in the best interest of all the parties. Uh, will it be better for Havas to join Vivendi? Will it be better for Canal Plus to be part of Vivendi? Will it be better for Universal Music to be listed on its own? And I think this is a question uh, top management of company needs to ask constantly. And um, in today's world, we see changing so rapidly I think we need to remain open. Uh, what we did with Universal Music Group was quite a surprise, uh, being honest, uh, because the group was doing well. But when you look at the sum of Universal Music Group plus Vivendi today, it's much bigger than what it was when we were together. Universal Music Group became very important, very strong. Uh, they had to face a, a, a big disruption through the digital revolution. Uh, by the way, music was the first industry to get disrupted. You remember in, at the end of the 90s, beginning of the years 2000, uh, oh, I mean, piracy was uh, everywhere in music. Yeah, we Napster, not downloading, piracy, yeah, yeah. We had music for free. So that's interesting about universal yeah. music in particular, because if we were you know, speaking maybe six or seven years ago when you fully owned that business, you would, might have told me a story about, well, we've got Canal Studio and we've got Universal Music, and yeah. it's great because you know, all the music that a movie company is using, we, you know, we, we keep everything in-house, and yeah. all the ads that Havas ad agencies or media agencies are using, they can, they, we have all the material in-house, and it creates that synergetic yeah. effect. But it sounds like you're not interested in doing that anymore. Is, is what you're saying perhaps then media ownership is less important than maybe the talent 
and the ideas and the execution of media rather than the ownership? I mean, it's a great question. The question is, do you need to own 100% of a company? I mean, Universal Music Group, now we own 28.5%. We are by far the largest shareholder. We continue to do tons of things together around data. I mean, last uh, two weeks ago in Los Angeles, we did a conference around health and music, how music can help to improve health conditions. So the partnership and the, the ties we have uh, uh, created between uh, Havas uh, and Universal Music Group and all the Vivendi entities will remain for life. It's like uh, uh, brotherhood or cousinhood. And uh, we will continue to work together. Um, I believe it's important to have the opportunity to, to build things in-house, but also we need to remain open to the world. Avaz needs to be able to work also with Warner Music, with uh, Sony Music, with independent uh, music label. I think the question is how do you create a, a best of both world approach? I mean, I'm a huge believer in the approach of creating best of both worlds, being pragmatic, changing your mind if you need to change your mind, and this is how it works. But when you look at the journey we have had together, I mean, it's... Uh, Fantastic, and being part of a larger group. Uh, I mean, in times of, uh, I mean, during tough times, like I remember COVID, how can we forget about COVID? Being part of Vivendi for Havas has been a game changer. I remember a conversation we had with uh, Havas team's uh, CFO and uh, management team about uh, how can we reduce, uh, I mean, you remember uh, March 2020, uh, I mean, uh, the industry was collapsing. We had no idea what's going to happen by the end of the year, uh, what's going to happen next year. We thought uh, at this time that uh, the business would continue to decline for, or we will completely collapse. So many of the agencies uh, in the industry started to uh, not just to cut costs, but to reduce compensation, to do some layoffs, which, I mean, I don't want to be judgmental. I, I understand. I mean, it was a tough time. But thanks to this. Vivendi uh, ownership and belonging, and thanks to the fact that Vivendi is a family group, which can give us uh, the ability to develop a long-term strategy and not to be just focused on quarterly earnings for the, for the stock market, we have been able to say, okay, look, guys, uh, I know it's a tough time, but Vivendi can afford it. So first, we won't cut any compensation, and second, we won't do any layoffs uh, during the lockdown. And we were the only group of the industry not doing any layoffs so you and make it public during this time, which, by the way, has been a very smart business decision. Because when the business came back very rapidly, and finally at the end of 2020, and 2021 was even better than 2019 for the industry, uh, we had all our workforce super motivated. They knew that they can count on their company. I think the kind of relationship in today's world where talent is, is very hard to, to, to keep, to attract, and to retain, the kind of uh, action that uh, gives an extra uh, motivation and loyalty to employees toward their uh, their family, I mean, their professional family. So, so what you're saying is that um, by by being in private ownership as opposed to being a listed company going into the pandemic, you were better insulated to make strategic long-term decisions than your competitors. I mean, that's that's quite interesting. I mean, um, don't you face at Havas with all the holding companies, frankly, that you make most of your money from the media agencies, don't you? Um, I, I'd, I'd love to see these open the books and kind of no. show me exactly. But, um, exactly. I, I will tell you this year, it's going to be exactly one third media, one third creative, and one third health. We are big in uh, the pharma industry. And both in terms of revenue and profit, it's, uh, it's quite balanced, actually. So, so tell me, OK, so I was going to so then ask you, OK, so why have you paid tens of million pounds 
for this ad agency on Common. And talk to me about how that fits into the strategy in terms of buying this creative agency that, you know, award-winning, not very old. Yeah, very, um, yeah. You know, still, young, a, still a new ad agency. I mean, why, why have you acquired that? Yeah. How does that fit into so the strategy? The, I don't know if everyone's familiar with the Uncommon. It's, a, it's an agency created in 2017, uh, I think, or 2016 in, uh, in London by uh, uh, three people, Lucy, Natalie, and Niels. Very successful agencies, best independent agencies in, in Europe for uh, the past five years. And uh, they wanted to open up a new chapter. They wanted to expand internationally, and they were looking for the right partner to invest in their company. I met with them for the first time last year. I think it was in November. Uh, 2022, they came to Paris because they were a bit paranoid that if we were seen together in London, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know why. What's so how does it work coffee? when you do those acquisitions? You just call up Lucy or how, how, does, it, how does it happen? I mean, the, 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 uh, the meeting was through Donna Murphy, the CEO of uh, the creative division right. of Havas and also the, the health division. She told me, Yannick, you need, a, you need to meet those guys. I heard about them, of course. I mean, they were the former management team at Grey, like super successful. So okay, let's meet. I'll be in London next week. No, they don't want to meet in London. They're afraid that uh, because they are quite well known here. So, so we met in Paris, uh, which, by the way, it's not that discreet huh, because my office in Paris. <laughs> is, uh, but, so we met in Paris. Therefore, it was more discreet, and uh, I was blown away. I mean, the level of energy of those three people, uh, what they have been uh, uh, building with brands. Uh, I mean, with their company. I mean, when you look at look, when you look at the British Airways uh, commercial, I mean, it's just. Uh, I mean, it's pure genius. Um, but that, but that's now, and that's for now. the short term. I mean, we always ah, we see with ad agencies all the time where they get, you know, these independents get acquired by a big holding group, and then no, founders no, no, no. run and earn out, and then it's a different oh, story. No, I'd have asked people No, I'd have asked people are saying, look at BTC, which is the equivalent of. Uh, of uh, the Uncommon in Paris, uh, the founders have been here for 30 plus years. It's going to be 30 years next year, so 29 years. Uh, Buzzman that we acquired five years ago, we are post earnout and all the founders are still here. I mean, people like, uh, like it at Havan, they like it at Vivendi, we find ways uh, where they can continue to be autonomous and get access to all the different expertise, media, PR, production, uh, global creative network around the world when we go for a global pitch. Uh, so, I mean, uh, we, we, find, uh, we found a, a right balance. I mean, at Havas, what we have to know, and at Vivendi in general, we are very entrepreneurial. And I think those founders, they like it, the ability to be uh, autonomous, which is not easy for everyone, because that's true that people at Havas are autonomous, so they need, to be, uh, they, need to be, they need to thrive being autonomous, which is not for everyone. But it's working well for those kind of people. And uh, I mean, I believe creativity is key, because we're here to talk about the, the future of media. Uh, I don't know what the media landscape will look like in 10 years. I mean, I can do a projection in 100 years because I will be dead by then, so I don't <laughs> care. 10 years, no. Uh, but what's for sure is that people will get access to more and more media, uh, which means that the media landscape will get even more saturated. So if you want to be able to create a message that will reach its consumers or its prospects for people or brands, you will need to find a, a way to be super creative. Otherwise, uh, people won't remember it. In today's world, you cannot just longer, you can no longer just pay for people's attention. It's not just about uh, paid media. Uh, you invest a million pounds, you get uh, X uh, GRPs, and uh, with a seven-time repetition, and the product's gonna be uh, gonna sell by themselves. It's, it's not at all what it is. You need to be creative. And by the way, I read an interesting study from Can Lions 
saying that an awarded campaign was 11 times more effective than a non-awarded campaign, which means that when you create something super creative or being perceived as being creative, people will remember it better. Uh, it, will drive, it will drive more sales uh, from a business standpoint. So I'm a huge believer that creativity and media needs to be working together, need to be working together. And this so, is why so is that continue. something you'll look sorry to interrupt? Is that something you'll be looking to do with Uncommon as it integrates into Habas? So yeah. Getting to work with the media side of things? Yeah, they, they, I mean, they, how they do can you break work. down those silos that have existed for so long with the media the media accounts over there, the creative accounts over there? You've got an issue over who's actually speaking to the client in terms of account management. Is the creative person the media agency person? Yeah, of course. And how do you break I mean, that with your integrated account? No, at Havas, like in any other holding companies, we have a creative division and a media division. When I joined Havas, I mean, I was working in TV before and movie production, so I was not working in advertising, so I joined Havas. And I was not part of one division or another. I was there for the group, for managing friends and different things. And um, sometimes we met some clients. And I knew the people from media, and I knew the people from the creative divisions uh, separately. They were in different locations. Sometimes we had the same clients. So I had a friend, the CEO of a company or CMO, who told me, oh, let's meet with all the teams. It was like 12 years ago. I said, OK, let's meet with the team and take any client, like Canal Plus or Lacoste, whatever. And I realized that at the meeting with those clients, the people from Havas Media and Havas Creative, at that time it was called URSCG and MPG. Sorry for the archaeological um, side of uh, discussion, but whatever. The people at Havas Media and Havas Creative, they didn't know each other. I mean, they were working for the same group, for the same client, and they introduced themselves. They, thought they were giving themselves business cards as they thought it was a client. So, okay, come on, it's weird. And it was getting even more complex, I mean, uh, because we created uh, some new expertise, social media, search. At that time, it was search. It was the, the emergence of mobile uh, marketing. So we had the mobile division. So we had like clients who were working with us with eight or nine different groups of people. And this is how I got the idea to create the together strategy, uh, which was a, a big, big, big differentiation for us and for the industry, where we moved everybody to the same locations all around the world and tried to create a unified approach, a uh, client-centric approach, which honestly had been a game changer. Look, uh, here in London, uh, 10 years ago, we had seven different locations uh, in central London. Now we have just one uh, global village in uh, King's Cross. I don't know if you have, if you have been there. I see some uh, Havas, uh, Havas friends, so of course they work there. Uh, it's, it's a game changer because you can just meet with the people, exchange, uh, and it's becoming a very seamless approach. And Location I think very important, yeah. the future of media is to be able to make people from different backgrounds, different expertise, work together on the same subject uh, uh, in the best interest of the client. I think the industry 10 years ago was very uh, agency-centric, I would say. Uh, we expected that clients would adapt their organizations to ours. And we had to change, because that's life. And the industry is becoming more and more client-centric. And this type of... Uh, approach that we have at Havas, uh, I think is the right one. Okay. Um, we've got a few minutes left. Um, I want to open it up to audience Q&A if anyone has any questions for Yannick Bollery. Um, but before I do, um, one of the questions that may come from the floor um, is uh, about Shell. Um, Havas Media won Shell's global accounts um, a few weeks ago and it caused a lot of um, yeah, I heard interest about, yeah. um, from this ongoing debate that we have in the industry about <laughs> greenwashing. I mean, how, how do you see the issue of greenwashing? How do you see you know, advertising agency or media agencies 
right to do communication marketing services for a company like that yeah. versus the very real issue of allowing companies that you know produce fossil fuel to to actually advertise what they're doing as opposed to what they say they're doing yeah no uh, thank you for asking the question I think it's a very important question uh, first I think that uh, as media companies as uh, advertising groups uh, we have a responsibility. Uh, I believe that we have the power to clearly influence uh, people's behavior through our content, through our creativity, through our media approach. And uh, this power or this ability gives us a responsibility to, to use it for good. How can we make together uh, the world a better place? Uh, I was the first, by the way, first CEO of the industry to put meaningfulness at the core of the mission of the group. The mission of Havas is how to make a meaningful difference to brands, businesses, and people. And this is not just uh, a mission to, to, to look inspirational. It's something that we deeply believe, uh, our ability to make a difference. Uh, then we had the discussion with Shell, because uh, of course, uh, uh, when the team has been asked uh, uh, to participate to the piece, they reached out to the XCOM to check uh, First, if we didn't have any conflict, or if it was okay to pitch for for for, for side fuel company, and it was honestly, it was an interesting conversation because, as always, we had pros and cons. Uh, the cons was a lot about the industry itself, about the talent. But I mean, I, I don't want just to talk about uh, about Shell because I don't want to talk just about one company. The yeah, question do you, do you is: Do you have a greenwashing wider. policy? I mean, yeah, how do course, you, how, how do you course. navigate this? So we have a greenwashing policy. We have policy for 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 for. All the important things, uh, uh, as you can imagine. The question is, how do we deal with controversial industry? So, of course, we have fossil fuel, but you know, in the controversial industry, if you take the list from the certification agencies, you have the pharma industry, uh, which is which is a complex case because uh, I understand that sometimes they can uh, pollute or test uh, drugs on animals, but at the end, they are saving a lot of lives. Uh, you have the car industry, you have the airline companies. I mean, airline companies, is it really controversial? Uh, I think it's good to discover new cultures. I mean, I have the chance to, I have the chance to, to, to travel a lot, to discover new cultures, to be exposed to new people, new ways of thinking. And I think it's important that people travel. Uh, we have witnessed, unfortunately, the return of war uh, in the world during the past two, three years, which I think is one of the most frightening things happening right now. Sorry uh, for, for stating the obvious. Uh, you have. Uh, uh, the pet food industry as well, which is a controversial industry. Uh, so the question is, how do we deal with those kind of industries? It's, it's not an easy one. We so have had so extensive discussions. My belief, and that's what I told the team, and I fully uh, endorse uh, uh, the decision of the group, and I fully assume it, is that we need to be able uh, to work. Well, my belief is first that in general, the most effective change comes from within. I believe that in our industry, as in any industry, as in any diplomatic relationship between countries, even if it's hard, we need to keep the dialogue open. And my belief is that our industry should be able to work with uh, any industry as long, and the as long is important, as they embark themselves on a meaningful transition journey. So of course, I mean, you have so much scrutiny on this uh, on this particular account that uh, our team will be monitoring very closely 
uh, that we don't do any kind or we don't participate in any kind of greenwashing. But I believe that, once again, most effective change comes from within, and we need to give a chance to any company to do better and themselves trying to embark and make a positive, meaningful, effective difference. So what you're saying is, that as soon as you observe that Shell isn't on that transition journey, you're going to resign that account? I don't want to talk about Shell in particular. <laughs> no, because I mean, we have lots of uh, industries we have to deal with. So you're talking about Shell because it's a, it's a particular issue in the UK. But in other countries, we have the same kind of issue with other clients or other industries. I mean, some other countries are more uh, sensitive with the pharma industry or with the car companies or with the airlines. So I don't want to focus on, on one particular company. But for sure, as long as they are engaged in a meaningful transition journey, we will try to continue to help them make a meaningful difference. OK. Does anyone have any questions for Yannick Bolloway? Please raise your hand. You don't. We have a few minutes left. I have questions, don't worry. Uh, Nick Manning has a question in the front. Hi, yes. Uh, Nick Manning, columnist for the Media Leader. Um, you've got a hell of a matrix there. You talked about four Cs being channels, content, commerce, and creativity. You talked about innovation and international development. How do you manage that matrix? And, and particularly, I'm thinking about how you manage the PL side of it because um, you talk, integration is crucial to all of this, and getting different operating units working well together sometimes can be hampered by conflicting PLs and, and organizational matters. How, how do you manage that incredibly complex matrix? Yeah, thank you, Nick, for your question. I mean, it's, um, I mean you talk, one of the C's you mentioned is uh, creativity. So we like to be creative in our financial way of. Uh, <coughs> of organizing the PNL. So we have a very strong CFO, Francois, and a great team. And uh, they have been creating shadow PNL. I mean, at the end of the day, the 22,000 people that have us know that we are super fair to them. So if they bring business to one another, they would be, uh, uh, be rewarded for it. So we have special bonuses. Thing. And they know that it's in the best interest of managing their accounts uh, with their client to introduce great people and to develop it. And, it's the case for Havas. I mean, I, I see Ahmed working for Havas Entertainment, uh, working very closely with uh, Studio Canal uh, here in London and Vivendi. And they know that working together at the end of the day, they will be rewarded for it. So uh, being creative as well in how we, we do the financing and the PNL, I think it's important. And be fair to the people. Hi, Ian with Galipsy Sky Advisors. Um, just on the scale of Havas, as you said, you've done the deal with Uncommon. You've done a couple of other deals as well. Sort of. When you look at Havas now, in terms of its size, and you mentioned before about being opportunistic, are you happy with the size that it is? Do you feel it though it can compete? Obviously, you do feel as though it can compete, but do you think it could be taken to another level with perhaps greater scale and therefore more acquisitions? I mean, the scale issue is a, I mean, it's a great question. And uh, I mean, I'm always asking myself the question of scale uh, because we, we, we are not a small company. Eh? It's 22,000 people at Havas, so it's, it's not like a small company around the corner. Um, but still, when I look at the competition, there are sometimes uh, 70,000 people, even, I think, 100,000 people for, for one of them. Uh, you know, I think scale is important in terms of being large enough to serve global clients and to, go, to get access to global partnership. And at the same time, being too big, you know, I mean, if you look uh, at uh, the Darwin theory, in times of changes, uh, the species who, who die are the ones who are the slowest to adapt. So I think it's important to be able to keep the right speed of uh, movement while being big enough uh, uh, to create global deals and to serve global clients. So uh, yesterday night, we announced a big partnership with Adobe. We'll be a top, 
a partner to Adobe, which is very important in terms of AI. I think, by the way, it's been six months I haven't done any talk without talking about AI. <laughs> I have a question so, about AI, uh, but we're running out of so, Sorry. <laughs> and uh, no, so I think our scale is, I mean, of course, in some areas we can be better. I mean, we're investing in retail commerce in some part of the world, but globally, uh, I'm happy with our scale. Katie had a question. Thank you. Hi there, uh, Katie Jones from Pixability. Uh, we do use AI, but I won't ask a question on it rather than break the, the thread. Um, so, um, but we are a, a sort of industry of magpies, which alludes to that, and we're always dealing with controversies. There's always sort of new headlines that come up. How do you advise your teams and then your clients to, uh, to, to deal with that sort of thing? Are, are you dealing with everything in the day-to-day? -day? How do you persuade people to, to look at the bigger picture? You mean internally to when we work? Both internally and with clients, because I'm sure they have concerns when there's a, a headline about something in the industry. No, of course. I mean, uh, crisis communication is real, especially in today's world with uh, social media. I mean, it's accelerating, and compared to 10 years ago, uh, uh, and uh, the difference in crisis communication today uh, with 10 years ago, I think the best line I have is. Uh, uh, we used to say that uh, in the past, uh, uh, today's newspaper is wrapping tomorrow's fish. Because of internet and social media, it's no longer the case. So you cannot just wait and uh, try that people will forget about it. So you need to, to fight, you need to advocate, you need to communicate. But once again, I mean, as I said in my introduction, the, the, the more complex it gets, uh, the best it is for our industry. So. Uh, I'm not saying it's a good thing for our clients that are in the middle of a controversy, but uh, we are here to help, and there is a way to defend themselves and to look at the bigger picture. And talking about social media, because we're here to talk about Media 3.0, and uh, I think not all of the media, I don't want to sound controversial myself, but uh, please do. Uh, <laughs> not all the medias are, are the same or are worth the same. I mean, you cannot compare like a top newspaper with a huge, like, great journalist, uh, a senior journalist, to a social media uh, written by two kids in a room. Uh, sometimes we tend to uh, to look at all the response and the comment on Twitter, X, uh, on Facebook. Uh, they are not all the same. So sometimes we need to to uh, to elevate uh, the the way we are seeing things and to try to look at the global picture to address. Uh, the right message at our communities at the right time uh, with the right approach. So um, I think sometimes we need to, to take a step forward and, and to look at the global picture. I agree with you. Yeah. Banging the drum for quality media. Um, that's a great note to end on, I think. Um, thank you so much to Yannick Bollery. Thank, thank you. you so much for your questions. Thanks again for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. If you like what you hear, guess what? You can read our stuff at our website, themedialeader.co.uk, where you can sign up to our daily newsletter in the UK of analysis, opinion, and commentary about what's going on in media and advertising. You can also find us on YouTube. We are posting video interviews and clips from our live events. And don't forget to check out our LinkedIn page, which is often a very interesting way to see what people in the industry are saying about our articles and the issues we write about. Anyway, get back to work. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.